This is Indonesia In-Depth. My name is Sean Corrigan. And today we have the honor and privilege to be in the presence of the Vice President of Indonesia, Mr. Yusuf Kala. Mr. Vice President, thank you for being on the program. Welcome. Yusuf Kala is a veteran businessman and politician. He was a CEO in his family company, Kala Group, before serving multiple national-level positions since Reformasi. As a businessman turned politician from South Sulawesi, he has been a main figure in business and trade and a strong advocate of Indonesia's manufacturing industry. He was the Minister of Trade and Industry in 1999 under Abdurrahman Wahid's short-lived presidency, a time of continued political and economic turbulence. He was later chairman of Golkar in 2004, which was the largest party in the parliament at the time. I'm very happy based on the quick count. With Indonesia's first ever direct presidential election in 2004, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono was elected president and Kala as vice president. He oversaw the country's economy and was heavily involved in resolving serious conflicts in the country. In 2014, he became President Widodo's VP and became the first to ever serve two different presidents. As he entered his fifth year as vice president in the Widodo's administration, Kala is about to complete his final terms as VP this October. As we met him on April 18, less than 24 hours after the election, we sat down with him to discuss his insights, thoughts, and legacy. Today, Indonesia is holding its largest and perhaps most complicated single day election. We have uh, more than 190 million voters. On April 17, over 190 million voters in Indonesia went to the polls to elect their representatives, president, and vice president. As we are speaking, the official vote count from the General Election Commission, or KPU, is still ongoing with around 20% of the votes tallied. With incumbent President Widodo leading his contender Prabowo Subianto by around 9 percentage points, Prabowo has declared that there has been widespread voting irregularities and vote manipulation. However, despite these claims, most observers expect the election to have been free, fair, and transparent. And the KPU is expected to officially announce the election results on May 22nd. Indonesians went to the polls uh, less than 24 hours ago. Uh, and the votes are still being tallied as we speak. Although official results uh, aren't expected until later this month, unofficial quick counts places the incumbent President Widodo as the winner. You just met the president this morning, I assume? Yeah. Uh, how was his mood and what was his reaction to the news? Of course, the uh, president is happy with the result of the elections, uh, but uh, with low profile to waiting the officials uh, I mean, information uh, to recording from uh, KPU, yeah, election commissions. Uh, 
we hope that it will be released next month yeah uh, this is very uh, waiting uh, but uh, all, all as you mentioned all uh, quick on uh, reviewing that uh, difference is around 10% so with uh, Prabowo uh, Sandy and uh, situation is good Mm-hmm. So much uh, larger uh, difference than yeah. in 2014. Mm-hmm. You obviously spent quite a bit of time with the president, mm-hmm. uh, managing the government, implementing mm-hmm. policies, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the president well. What do you think President Widodo's priorities will be in his second term? Yeah, uh, I think uh, priority still uh, economy, uh, both infrastructures and investments and export, of course because uh, needed uh, more job, more employment, and uh, more equality between regionals, uh, very important things uh, to do, and increasingly investment in manufacturing area, because this, this is one thing that can increase our growth. Mm-hmm. On that point, pa, um, in recent interviews, you have expressed confidence in Indonesia's manufacturing sector. Um, and have stated that it's the only in an industry that is able to boost the economy forward. Um, however, some experts uh, remain cautious about Indonesia's manufacturing sector, uh, stating that the direction of manufacturing overall may not work in favor when it comes to the changing into the digitalization of manufacturing and Industry 4.0. And there's some concern that maybe Indonesia will be stuck in the simple manufacturing stage and lacks uh, diversification in manufacturing. Despite numerous stimulus packages by the president, strong growth in Indonesia's manufacturing sector has yet to be achieved. Why is this the case, Mr. Vice President? Yeah, uh, this is one thing that uh, we are gross around 5% per year in manufacturing, but uh, less than compared with uh, Vietnam, Thailand. To date, Indonesia is primarily manufacturing basic commodities such as food and beverages, chemicals, basic metals, rubber and rubber products, as well as apparel. Indonesia has had success in the automotive and motorcycle assembly sector, but continues to have difficulty with boosting its value-added exports, a crucial element to become an advanced manufacturing power. That's why we are preparing, because mostly manufacturing in West Java, uh, and some in East Java, but now we're preparing Central Java uh, to more manufacturing because in Java the population increasingly in labors will be okay. I, I agree with you that uh, now digitization and uh, technology is very important to every industries. Uh, that's why uh, next year, one thing that's uh, the government's uh, priority is increasing the skills and uh, educations uh, and training center for all our, the peoples. The, you are preparing uh, more than 1,000 units of uh, training center for the people to increasingly the skill because this is one thing. And of course, uh, many the regulation to increasing the easy business in Indonesia. There's one thing that there's some uh, uh, progress on this mm-hmm. side. If in, you Indonesia has moved yeah, up. Yeah, more. You see, this is one thing, two, two, the one thing that we are, we are working on. Mm-hmm. I see. And at that same point, Mr. Vice President, you have the digitalization of manufacturing, mm-hmm. Industry 4.0, mm-hmm. 
coming at the same time mm. as Indonesia has a demographic mm. bonus or de- mm. demographic mm. dividend. Mm. Do you see enough being done to train these this labor workforce to have these medium and high skills coming yeah. at the same time as inefficiencies improving and increased workforce? I I uh, I believe that even the digitalization of industry or technologies there are but you need still needed uh, workers uh, blue collar or white collar uh, in industry because uh, not only important for employment important for consumer if all digitalization maybe Japan okay American okay but um, Indonesia is still uh, important thing because not only as, as employer as consumer too if all digitalization uh, who is buying car, buying shirt, buying uh, food, and so on? People who have earned uh, money from uh, industry or manufacturing, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, we are combining this uh, strategy. How we uh, digitalization in some industry like uh, automobiles or electronics, but uh, another industry needs more jobs like textiles, garments, or shoes or food and industries, uh, agricultural, uh, industrial, agricultural, still workers, and still uh, more important employment of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also on that same point, it is important to be a part of the global supply chain when it comes to manufacturing. And up until now, Indonesia has been, I would say, lacking being where it could be, I think, in the global supply chain. How can Indonesia address that and what's being done now? Yeah, one thing that will improve systems is supply chains, is infrastructures. Why uh, this time, this period that we are increasing the our capabilities in uh, road, um, airports, ports, and many things in infrastructures to more efficient in uh, logistic systems. Uh, we hope that there is uh, infrastructures and the systems will be improving and Indonesia, one thing uh, needed for so hub for logistic and infrastructures for another country. Because one thing very important, the, here there are 265 million people that as employment and consumer. Whatever Malaysia doing, only 30 million people there. Of course, export very important. Uh, but if combining export and domestic uh, consumer will be making a gross better. The global supply chain is the distribution of services and goods across a global network, which is intended to leverage technology providers and manufacturing expertise worldwide. One example of a product developed from a global supply chain is the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, where 70% of its high-quality parts were outsourced. Indonesia has struggled to become a major manufacturing power, and with increasing its participation in the global supply chain, and continues to lag behind countries such as Malaysia and Vietnam due to its high cost of logistics and poor infrastructure. In addition to this, participating in the global supply chain also requires complying with various international regulations and standards. And may we shift just very briefly to uh, Parliament? Okay. The 2014-2019 Parliament session is coming to an end very, very soon this September. And yet there has been 34 priority legislation that is still being deliberated right now. But it seems like the progress is coming a little slow. 
And some observers have commented that the working progress inside the parliament is also not as productive the last five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your opinion, what would you think would be some of the uh, bills that you think should be pushed and be um, legalized or be issued before the end of the session this September? Yeah, there are three, three uh, I mean, duty of the parliament everywhere. The legislations, budgetings, and controlling the governments. And I, I understand, I agree that uh, in legislations, uh, not so much uh, laws that have produced or agreed in parliaments uh, according to the target. But this is okay for governments. Uh, if parliaments... Uh, uh, produce or agrees with so many legislation, sometimes too much uh, as government. Uh, but in the budgeting, so it's, it is uh, okay. It's, uh, and they uh, we are approving accordingly the timelines. Uh, and in controlling the government, uh, sometimes too much. If uh, parliamentarians... Uh, in uh, openly and um, all ministers sometimes in in uh, parliament to meet uh, his commissions uh, to do that. That's why uh, there are some problems too in uh, some uh, of member of parliament in trials because corruption, for instance. Even the German of the parliament, a speaker, have uh, problems in uh, corruption agencies. Uh, but uh, we hope that. Now on, much better. Uh, they will be uh, be more improvingly. We hope that the, the next parliament, who will be as uh, inauguration in early October, will be uh, quality is much better than before. That's our hope as well. Uh, but is there any particular uh, bills that you uh, like very much and want to be issued soon? In our system, if governments are not uh, agreed uh, the bills or legislations. Government president can be issues per press, uh, presidential regulations. This we don't have uh, many as uh, priorities uh, of legislations uh, in parliament. But um, of course, um, people sometimes they have needed more legislation, but can be combined with presidential decree and legislation. And just related on that part, how important, uh, Mr. Vice President, is the data privacy protection in Indonesia? I know there's a draft bill uh, in Parliament now on data privacy protection. Privacy? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, this, this is um, not only Indonesian, so, but will be internationals needed that to prevention from hawks, from uh, uh, data acquisitions or... Uh, but this is technology. Sometimes uh, you know, but the other things much better. They make uh, piracy uh, in data, um, like WikiLeaks and the other things that uh, happens in the world. But uh, about data, we have a uh, law about that. Not only laws, but you need technology. Uh, technology to prevention that we need cooperations with Google, with Facebook, or, or the other thing. Yeah, needed uh, cooperation with different countries. But, uh, for instance, uh, in the, the many sometimes uh, much progress in different area, like taxations. Uh, no, so the world's open for data about uh, your incomes and the other thing to the other countries. There are open taxations uh, data about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, and 
it will continue to be of concern, I think, for the consumers, but also for governments combined. May I shift, uh, Mr. Vice President, to ASEAN very briefly. Um, Indonesia has come a long way. I was here in 1998, Pa, as mm. a student oh. at UI. UI. So I arrived in 1997. 97. Mm. At the time, mm. uh, everything was fine. Yeah, reform will be ne- uh, the year of reform. Correct. Mm. So I, I saw and the crisis. whole the crisis. I mm. saw the whole crisis, the mm. political, mm. social, and mm. economic crisis mm. happening as a student here. Mm. Um, but Indonesia has come a long way mm. from 1998 until now. Mm. Um, you've went through many difficulties since then. Um, serious economic challenges, mm. instability, mm. serious ethnic and religious mm. conflicts, and even separatist movements. Although there are still many issues that need to be addressed in Indonesia, the progress is quite remarkable mm-hmm. um, since then. Some ASEAN members at this time are also going through similar issues or one of these issues that you've also experienced over time. What can some of the ASEAN members learn from Indonesia's experiences in the past, say, 20, 20 years or so? Yeah. In 1999, I am a minister of trade uh, with Gusdur's uh, government's uh, we have progressed in manage the crisis. Of course, first thing that we are even need a, a lot of uh, costs, uh, higher cost of the crisis in '99. Uh, but uh, after that, we are stabilized in both economy and politics. Yeah, it's mean one one thing that uh, that can learn is how make a stability in uh, same times in politics and economy. Uh, how it reforms uh, uh, politics, but in end times uh, we are rebuild our crisis. Uh, uh, this is one thing, and we are reform government more democratic uh, country, one of the uh, biggest uh, democratic country in the world. Number four, for instance, uh, number three. Uh, this is one thing uh, very very useful for learning uh, the country, even in the the biggest uh, Muslim population in the world, but we are democratic. Like yesterday, uh, you see uh, uh, the elections. After crisis, uh, there are four elections. All peaceful elections, you see that. And a government elected with opens, uh, no uh, such a problem like uh, some countries like Thailand or uh, or the other countries in uh, Philippines or the others, but we are more smooth. Uh, I mean, um, elections uh, and uh, transitions uh, period. We have transition period, but mostly this one thing that uh, some countries uh, could learn from our systems and the other things that more peacefully area. Uh, before, in uh, if you know here in crisis, so many. Uh, conflict in so many areas in Papua, in Timor, in Ambon, in Aceh, but not all peaceful countries. Yeah, this way, I think this one thing's case can be learned. And I think you've been heavily involved in the conflict resolution in Aceh, also Ambon, going back in the early 2000s. In fact, I've spent quite a bit of time in Myanmar, Pa. And speaking to the generals there, and 
they know Indonesia well. They look at Indonesia history. They look at the reform efforts and the successes of Indonesia. And during my conversations with them, your name often comes up. They look at you as key. They look at you as instrumental as resolving these conflicts in Aceh and other places. Can Indonesia do more to help Myanmar push through the reforms that are needed there, uh, particularly with, say, uh, how Indonesia, the TNI used to be in, milit- in the parliament, then has removed themselves uh, in 2004. The military is still in parliament in Myanmar. I think that histories are very similar. They have many ethnic groups. Indonesia has many ethnic groups. There are ongoing conflicts, uh, yet progress has been slow there. What, what could Indonesia do? And I think they could do more, but I refer to you, sir. Yeah, uh, I visit Myanmar three times. And they invite me. Uh, President, uh, five years ago, they, I go there. They invite me and they ask me to brief uh, around 20 ministers. Uh, it's in cabinets. Uh, around five hours we are discussing uh, with uh, Aceh case, Ambon case, uh, how to implement it in the Myanmar at the time. But as you know, there are 11 conflicts, uh, status quo in Myanmar, the ceasefire. But ceasefire, 10 years, it means status quo uh, there. How to, and I explaining the, the way uh, I do and, uh, we intention to do more, uh, but sometimes it's not easier to enter that. Kala's role as a peacemaker dates back to the fall of Suharto. Indonesia was struggling to quell several violent conflicts after the collapse of the new order in 1998, and these continued into the early 2000s. There had been an ongoing bloody insurgency in the province of Aceh for decades. Meanwhile, other new major conflicts ignited in other parts of the country, such as the ethno-political conflict in Ambon, Maluku, and sectarian conflict between Muslims and Christians in Poso, central Sulawesi. These conflicts pose a serious threats to Indonesia's unity, and there was concern that the conflict could spread nationwide. Now, Kala was a critical figure in conflict resolution through his deep cultural and historical understanding of the people, understanding the root causes of the strife, and by building trust among the disputing sides before eventually finding an effective solution for each situation. Reconciliation came to Poso in late 2001, while the Ambon conflict came to an end in 2002 after Kala successfully brought all sides together to sign two peace agreements. After long peace negotiation and a devastating tsunami, peace finally also came to Aceh in 2005, when a peace agreement was signed between the government and rebels, and the province was also granted special autonomy. Kala's important role with negotiating peace for these serious conflicts has been internationally acclaimed. I thanked both Vice President Kala and, and government of Indonesia and GAM both, that they had so well adhered to the principles we established in the Memorandum of Understanding. Now, as the chairman of Red Cross uh, yeah, and cooperation with another organization, we have built now one hospital in Rakhine countries. We hope this hospital can be in a school. 
school, Kohmo became a school and a hospital. You hope this instrument will be uh, can be support unity there. But I think many should be reformed there, both uh, in systems and the people itself. I see. Yeah, I see. Now, some of our listeners may not know that Indonesia and Myanmar were good friends since the late 1940s. In fact, President Sukarno once described Burma as a friend in the fight against colonialism. After independence, both had quite a lot of parallels in battling separatist movements, struggles between authoritarian regimes and democracy, decentralization, and general instability. However, Indonesia has made remarkable progress overall, particularly after instability in the 1960s and 32 years of new order rule and eventually with its transition to a functioning democracy, while Myanmar continues to struggle. And uh, you have been vice president for two terms now, two five-year terms, mm-hmm. one with uh, President Yudhoyono mm-hmm. and then now with President Widodo. You are also a veteran politician. And uh, what would you say your biggest successes have been um, as vice president and also maybe your biggest setback or difficulty? Yeah. Uh, in success, I think many, many say my uh, legacy is in peace. Yeah, peace process. No, not only working for domestically, now we're working in... Uh, uh, we assisted or uh, contribution in Afghanistan on. We are talking against uh, Myanmar before we are trying to do something in Thailand. Uh, invite me to come to Jakarta, both of them. This is one thing that uh, I uh, usually is uh, happy to do my jobs uh, in the the side. Uh, the other thing in mostly in economy because when uh, my first terms with Julio Doyono uh, as vice president, my uh, uh, prime duties in improving the economic systems. And we, I do it at the time to more stability of the economy. And this time, in, in this is, uh, I mean, periods with uh, uh, Jokowi. Jokowi won president very democratically. I mean, uh, that's why uh, all, all, almost uh, all issues is we uh, agreed with uh, meeting, so many meetings in cabinet uh, to make uh, conclusions of uh, result. And uh, we are, we are, I try to, to do my, jo- my job to assist the president to, to making the, the, the main objective or target of the development of the country. Um, Mr. Vice President, like you said, you have made many accomplishments and there is also a lot of setbacks in the way, but you have been so involved in Indonesian politics for many years. What are your plans now since you will be ending your five-year term as Vice President? Yeah, I have uh, will be um, turned to my home uh, within six months uh, from now on. So, uh, the, what my uh, program for next is uh, because uh, before I am actively in uh, social matter, 
in uh, education, in religions, uh, Islamic uh, movements, uh, but moderation, of course, yeah? in the socials. Uh, Beside that, of course, uh, will Pak uh, Jokowi asked me to more advise in accordingly with my experience in this side. Uh, I will enjoy it, life with my grandchildren and so on. You know. Are you looking forward to spending time relaxing after all the time yeah. as a politician? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more relaxed, more relaxed life. Uh, Excellent. Okay. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy. Most thank welcome. you for being on Indonesia In-Depth program. And thank you once again, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yusuf Kala will be known as an astute businessman who gets things done, who ran the state's economy and experienced steady growth during Udiono's first administration, and as a skillful peacemaker in some of the most threatening conflicts to Indonesia's unity. Although he will be leaving his post as vice president this October, he will likely remain to be politically influential in Indonesia in one way or another. We'd like to thank Vice President Yusuf Kala once again for spending time with us and to all his team members for being such a great help. As usual, we love to hear your feedback. So do send us an email at info at indonesiaindev.com and also follow us on Twitter at IndoIndev for updates. I'm Tanita. And I'm Sean Corrigan. And I'm Veronica. Thank you for listening. 